Yes, well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to those who are joining us on site and online. And I just want to echo one thing that Zach mentioned is I also want to invite you to consider joining us for our GEM event coming up in two weekends. This is the annual kind of regional missions conference that our uh, our, our conference does in the Edmonton area, and I can tell you, there's a great list of speakers and presenters, and even some opportunities for, for example, for our youth to go and actually practically serve during this time as well. To give you a bit of an idea, from uh, head office, our new executive director Harry Kelm will be here as one of our presenters, as well uh, Randy Schmore. Some of you will know the name Randy Schmore, who is the gateway director overseeing global missions for the conference, will be speaking as well. In addition to many other local and international missionaries who will be coming to give updates from the field and to share some of the experiences they've had the last year and a half, which as we know locally has been trying, but imagine how much even more so for those who are in the mission field locally and around the world. And for some reason, they felt it was appropriate to have me come kick the whole thing off on Saturday morning. So uh, I'll be here on that weekend as well. And I'm really looking forward to that opportunity, not just to, to speak at the start of the conference on the Saturday morning, but also I love to hear stories from the field. Anyone else love to hear missionary updates? Absolutely. To hear these amazing stories of the things that God is doing, the way that God is moving in the world, here, here locally, sometimes it's even in our own backyard, and other times it's you know, across the other side of the world. And I think we love these stories because so often they evolve examples of how God is making a way where there seems to be no way. And as I say that phrase, maybe yourself can already be thinking of a story or example from your life, you know, missions, trip, or otherwise, where God made a way where there seemed to be no way. You know, for example, I remember one time uh, when Nadine went on a short-term missions trip with a group of ladies to go to do this trip in Italy, I know, suffering for Jesus in Italy. It's, it's pretty rough, but it, it, was, it was a legitimate mission trip. They were there to work with a missionary that was on the ground and doing uh, ministry in camps and sharing the gospel with, with uh, city kids in some of these areas where there is no mention of Jesus at all. Well, right before they leave, the town that they're going to be doing this in had an election, and a new mayor came into power, and that mayor was completely anti-Christian anything to the point where one of the first things he did was he canceled all the permits for anything to do with the Christian ministry within his town. And the missionary on the ground went to meet with him with other local leaders to try to you know, you know, find a way to work through this and nothing. So the team faces the question, do we cancel the trip or, or what do we do? And so they decided what they would do is they wouldn't cancel, but they would wait and they would pray. And they'd wait and they'd pray. And they waited and prayed right up to the day when they're supposed to leave. But the answer from the local officials was still no. So what do we do? What do we do? We go forward in faith. And they still left in prayer and in faith. And as the plane touched down in Italy, they received their permit to do their ministry that week. Praise God. Isn't that an awesome story to hear things like that happening where people walk forward in faith trusting that God will find a way now, we hear stories like that, whether it be at like the GEM conference or the one I just shared with you now, and we say, praise God, that's fantastic, but, and I hear this sometimes, but stuff like that never happens for me. Now, when I hear that, I, I tend to push back a little bit on people, not, not because, you know, there's, there's these huge, amazing things like that happening in that fashion, but there's other amazing things that happen in people's lives. For example, have you ever had a struggle or just your thoughts, your hearts are dominated by a fear, a challenge, a worry? 
And then you just happen to hear like the right song or the right sermon on the right day. And you're like, that guy was preaching to me in that moment. Have you ever had a situation where perhaps you were struggling with a, a, a financial situation, a relational problem, and in just the right moment, a provision comes in, a friend with the right word encouragement, a, an envelope with an unexpected check in it, and it just makes a way where you thought there was no way. Or perhaps you've been in a moment of temptation and you already know, I'm not going to say no to this one. But at just the right time and just the right person calls you or, or sends you a text message and pulls you out of that moment. In these situations, in, perhaps as I give those examples, you can think of times when that happened for you. And the reason we can recall these is because in these moments that these things happen, it makes us stop and take notice. And we face a choice. We can minimize it. as ah, nothing. It's coincidence. There's nothing more to it than that. But was it? Was it just a coincidence? Because while it is true that not every moment that happens, every God moment that happens in life is of like biblical proportions, like, I don't know, the parting of a sea, what do all these examples have in common? What examples does the example of, of Nadine's missions trip, God's provision for you in your life, and the parting of a sea, what common thread do all of those have? There are all ways in which people experience the power of the presence of God. All examples of when he made a way when there seemed to be no way. And the end result was the defeat of fear and the building of faith, all to the glory of God. And so as we pick up our story today, in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17, I invite you to turn there in your Bibles. Exodus 13, verse 17, if you want to use one of the pew Bibles, it's on page 55. We find ourselves in this part of the story where Israel has just been freed from 400 years of slavery. They've just had a taste of the reality that God is making a way where there seems to be no way. And as they now enter into their desert period of wandering, they have to decide if they will trust in God's way or go their own way. And so we begin looking at this in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. As the Israelites march out of a place called Ramses, they are free. They are confident. They are filled with joy, and God is leading the way. As we read this in chapter 13, verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on a road through the Philistine country, though that was the shorter route. For God said if they faced war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He said to them, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Sukkoth, they camped at Edom and the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to guide them with light. So that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left that place in front of the people. Those who knew the promises of God that was made to their forefathers knew where the promised land was. They knew where they were heading. This is the time we get set free from captivity and we head towards the promised land. And the promised land is east and then you hang a left. And you're there. 
it's not that far geographically on the map. It's just literally around the corner. That was the most direct route. But the problem with the most direct route was that if they had gone that way, they would have encountered many, many Egyptian outposts. But the Israelites were saying, we're ready. We are armed for battle. Now, when you hear them say we're armed for battle, don't be thinking, you know, armor and swords and shields and and marching down the road to battle. No, you think more basic clothes that they had upon their back, a a half-broken spear they found on the way out of town, a bow or a sling they made from what they could find as they left town. That's what they were armed with. They were no match for a trained, resourced, fortified fortress that they would encounter if they had gone east. But you know what else they were armed with? They were also armed with incredible faith. And their faith had been bolstered by, by the fulfillment of past and present promises of God. They, they, they had the past promise that was fulfilled because they're carrying the bones of Joseph with them. And, and Joseph is the one who really brought them to Egypt 400 years earlier. But he also made this prediction before he died. He said, God will deliver you. And when that happens, take my bones out of Egypt and bury them in the promised land. The land promised to your forefather, Abraham. And here they are. They are marching out of Egypt, no longer captives. The prophecy had come true. They were fortified by faith in the past promises fulfilled. And they're fortified by the present promises too. Because God had freed them from slavery in Egypt. And there he was in this pillar of cloud by day, in this pillar of fire by night. There he was. He was with them. And God looks down. And in his wisdom, he takes them on a longer route. Why? Well, I think because he saw their weapons, he saw their faith, he saw their arm for battle, but he also saw that they did not yet know how to wield their faith or their weapons. And so we see in verse 17 that God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, which would have been the quickest way, but instead he took them on a different route. Because if they faced war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. No, there are some events as we walk our lives with God where we think we're ready. We think we're ready, but what we actually need to do is trust the path that God has marked out for us. When I think of that, it takes me back a number of years to when I had just started to take this journey of becoming a pastor. And I remember very clearly that that I was trying to walk the path God had marked out for me, but I also was very keenly aware of the fact that I've already been to school. I've been to a lot of training I've got a career that I'm leaving, I'm experienced, I'm knowledgeable, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I was a manager, I've got a lot going for me. And when I arrive here in Edmonton and I start the educational component of this journey, I find out that I've got to do four years of university and then four years of seminary, and I'm thinking, eight years? That's a long road. We've left our careers. We've sold everything. We are walking the path. We are experienced. We are ready. Let's see if we can fast forward this to the shorter route. So what did I do? I got a list of all of the higher level people at the university and all of the conference leaders. And I sent emails and I made phone calls and I took a bunch of them out for lunch and say, so how do I, over lunch, be like, so how do we, how do we fast track this thing? Like, how do we, how do we take what I got? And we just kind of skip ahead to the final couple years and let's just, let's just get this thing moving. And each and every single time I made a phone call, I sent an email, I took somebody for lunch, I kept hitting this barrier, no, no, no. And so finally I submitted myself to walk the long road. 
Looking back upon that long road now, I can tell you this. Those years were the most formative years of my life. They were the years where I learned so much about myself and about God. And if I look back, I can give so much credit to those wis- the wisdom of those people who said no to the short route, made me lock- walk the long route because it gave me what I needed for future success in school but also in church. And the long road is where that success was birthed. If I had gone my own way, I kind of know what would have happened. I know that I, looking back now, I know I would have got into too much too soon. I would have felt the weight. I would have felt the pressure. I would have felt like I'm not qualified or able, and I would have wanted to quit. And if I had quit, what would I have done? I would have quit, and I would have gone back to my other job. I would have said, I'm done with school. I'm going to get a job in a business. I'm going to start looking for sales quotas and making the money and the status and just doing that again. If I had gone my own path and got frustrated and quit, I would have forgot how miserable I was in Egypt. And I may even have started questioning my faith in God. Because we tried it your way, God, and that didn't work out. Can you relate to any of that, perhaps, in your own journey, your own story? Where God directed you down a path different than you expected? Perhaps it was a new job, a Perhaps you've started a new class. You've come to a new city, a new church, a new ministry opportunity, a new relationship. And you think you're ready, but all of a sudden your path goes different than you expected. If you find yourself in that situation now or in the days ahead, let me encourage you with this. Let me encourage you to trust him to lead the way. Because I honestly believe that if you do, you will find that the journey is just as important as the destination. I think that's what Israel finds, too, is that the journey is just as important as the destination. The path God led them on had been very different than what they expected. They were heading south rather than east. And they even made some weird switchbacks along the way, if you you read the full story. They made these, these odd switchbacks as they went, but they trusted God to lead the way. And after some time, they find themselves at a place called Pi Hahiroth, where they set up camp. And it's this beautiful location where the desert mountains meet the shore of the sea. And they set up camp there. And now the route to that was odd. They had, they had done this odd wandering and meandering kind of through the desert type of thing. To somebody who was watching from the outside looking in, they probably looked lost and confused. Like a, kind of like a dog chasing his tail in the wilderness. But it was all part of God's plan. You see, God was setting up a final encounter with their enemy, with, with Pharaoh. And he was going to bring this threat to an end forever. You see, after the plagues fell upon Egypt, and then they find themselves with an absence of hundreds of thousands of laborers to rebuild, Egypt's in ruins. And Pharaoh and his officials are finding it way too quiet and way too much work for them to look after themselves. So they decide that added to that, Pharaoh's thirst for power and wealth, as well as the news that Israel seems to be lost in the wilderness, leads him to the decision that we're going to go rescue them. Let's bring them back and make them work for us again or wipe them off the face of the earth. We'll let them choose what their fate will be. 
And so Pharaoh amasses this military response of all the horses and all the chariots and and all the troops to go out and to pursue the Israelites. And as this military force approaches Israel, you can imagine the ground was shaking as all these people were walking towards and riding and on horseback towards where the Israelites were. And as the Israelites feel the ground shaking and they look up to the horizon, they can see this huge dust cloud coming up. And we read this in Exodus 14, verses 10 through 12, where it says, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us to bring us out of Egypt? Didn't we tell you, back in Egypt, didn't we tell you, Moses, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than for us to die in the desert, is their response. So, Israel's first reaction. They fold like a cheap suit. (laughs) There's no more mention of our weapons. There's no mention of our faith. They just fold. They look at the sea in front of them. They look at the approaching army behind them. They look at the steep molten walls beside them. And their faith melts into fear. And they lash out at Moses, who is the only one who actually is trying to keep the faith in the midst of this. See, we see Moses' faith in verse 13 and 14, where Moses answers the people. And he says, do not be afraid. Instead, stand firm. And you will see the deliverance of the Lord that he'll bring to you today. The Egyptians you see before you today, you will never see them again. Why? Because the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. So far in this first leg of the Exodus journey, we've seen two strategies deployed now. Two strategies deployed on how to face challenges. The first one, God leads them on a long path away from trouble because they're able to avoid it. And now... God leads them on a path that includes trouble, and they must face it. And they face it. One of the key words we see in this is be still. And some of you may have your minds taken back to Psalm 4610 in a situation such as this, where where Moses tells them in the face of fear to be still. 4610, be still and know that I am God. And that action of being still is not an action, it's not a state of passivity. That's not what stillness is in this situation. It's not about a state of passivity. It's about active stillness, which sounds like an oxymoron, but what that means is active stillness means I'm going to end my tantrum, I'm going to stand in faith, and I'm going to follow where God leads. To be still within myself that I end the tantrum, I stand in faith, and I follow where God leads. We will experience these same options in our own walk with God. We will. All of us have had these moments where we find this opportunity to apply these things. For example, moments where you know that what the right thing to do is to avoid the temptation, to avoid the situation, to just walk away. I remember a time, a number of years back, when I was at Costco with the family. We were going to get our groceries, and it was one of those busy seasons where you're kind of driving around for a while trying to find a parking spot. And, and I found one, and, and completely uh, innocently, I, I probably, I think I cut a guy off to get the parking spot. It wasn't a malicious thing, an intentional thing, but I know that I cut him off because by the time I got out of my vehicle, he had pulled up behind me, 
gotten out of his car. By the time I got out, he was in my face explaining to me what he thought of me in less than pleasant terms. I can tell you what I was tempted to do. (laughs) What I was tempted to do is this guy gets in my face, is challenging me, and by the way, he's half my size. (laughs) So I can tell you what I was tempted to do. And at the same time, I'm thinking, I didn't start it, but I'm going to finish it was the thought going through my head. That's what I was tempted to do. But in this moment, I caught a glance to the left of me, and there in the rear view window is my son Sam, who's about eight years old at the time, and just staring at this, going, what is dad gonna do? How is dad gonna handle this situation? And I feel like that was God's making a way for me. As I looked at my son Sam and I decided I will apologize to this man and I will walk away. In moments of temptation, whether that temptation be be pride, greed, anger, self-justification, lust, the desire to compare to other people, whatever that temptation may be, what do we do? One option that we have for us is 1 Corinthians 10.13 where it says God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Rather than fight from a position of weakness, which is the position we're in when we're fighting against temptation. We're always, when we're tempted, we're always in a position of weakness. Instead of fighting from a position of weakness, sometimes the right choice is to flee, to get clear of it, to say that I'm not going to fall into the sin and allow the sin to continue in my life because we know what happens when it does. It leads to us having negative thoughts about ourselves. It has a negative impact upon our relationship with God. And over time, it can limit our effectiveness as followers of Christ and even believe that we are defeated. That's what Israel did the first time. They were able to flee the situation because they followed God's path away from the battles. But now they find themselves stuck between a rock and a hard place. And they need another strategy. They got an army on one side and a large body of water on the other side. And so Moses offers another alternative. His option is fear not, stand firm, trust God, he will fight for you which is similar to the words that we find in James 4, 7, where James says this to followers of Christ. He says, submit yourselves then to God. Stand firm, fear not. Submit yourselves to God and resist the devil and you don't flee from him, he will flee from you. Submit to God. Do not be dominated by the fear of the situation with your eyes focused upon the situation. Do not be dominated by that, but instead resist. Stand firm. In faith. When I hear this phrase of stand firm in faith, I, I get this image of, a, of like, like a sports figure who was not going to give up any ground. A, a runner in the starting blocks who was not going to be pushed back but will push forward. A, a football lineman who is going to stand his ground and he's going to dig in. And when you dig in, in faith in God, the enemy flees from you. Not because of the weapons that we might have, but because the battle belongs to the Lord. And the battle belongs to the Lord, and he has already secured the victory. And that's what we're digging into. We're not digging into our own power. We're not digging into our own ability to fight from this position of weakness and temptation. We're digging into the faith and the victory that has already been won in Jesus Christ. And the enemy will flee from you. 
when our faith is in Christ and he fights the battle for us. Now, do you see a common thread in both of these options? The common thread is that God makes a way where there seems to be no way. In the face of temptation, God provides a way out so that you can endure it, that you can avoid it. In the face of adversity, God fights for us so that his victory becomes our victory and we can find a way forward. So I ask you this, what challenge, what, what temptation are you facing right now? What might you be facing where it seems like there is no way out? Maybe it's a temptation where you know you're vulnerable, where you know that you have allowed that to control your life in the past. You feel like you will never have victory in this. But I ask you this question today, what would it look like to seek God and to allow God to help you avoid the lure of that sin? What would it look like to help God keep you out of the situation, to break the pattern, to help you flee from that moment? Maybe you're facing an obstacle, a difficult person, a a no-win situation, a decision you've been putting off because you don't like the options that are facing. What would it look like to trust God? To follow the encouragement of Moses when he says, fear not, stand firm, and trust that God will fight for us. What would that look like? Because if we're trusting God to lead the way, when we encounter temptations or when we encounter a barrier, we can trust him to make the way. And in what we can only call biblical proportions, this is exactly what he does for Israel as we continue our story. Because God now asked Moses, why are you just staying around? We've just said, stand firm. Stand in faith. Why are you just standing around? Tell the people to move forward. Which seems ridiculous in the moment, because when they look forward, all they see is water. As we pick up the story in Exodus 14, beginning in verse 19, it says this, Then the angel of the Lord, who had been traveling in front of the Israel armies, withdrew and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. Verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, And all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind, and it turned into dry land. And the waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The angel of God moves from leading them in the front to protecting them from behind. And for hours, they start to cross this large body of water in a story that is being shaped that would be told for generations right up to this generation because we're still talking about it because the redemption of Israel was drawing complete. And once they're mostly all across, the pillar starts to move and the Egyptian general sounds the attack. Now's our chance and they charge in after them on this dry path. But chariots are not designed to ride on the floors of seas and, and the wheels get jammed and they get stuck in the mud and it turns into utter chaos of stampeding horses and, 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 and crashing chariots and scrambling soldiers. <laughs> to the point where somebody sounds the retreat. 
Let's get out of here. Their God is fighting for them. And just probably up on a bank outside of all this is Pharaoh watching it take place. Generals usually watch the battle from a bit of a distance. And you can see the formation charge in and then just turn into scrambling chaos. And then he watches in horror from a short distance as God tells Moses to take your hands and bring them back over the sea again. And the waters flow back. And as they flow back into place, they cover every chariot, and horse, and soldier. And none of them survived. God makes a way where there seems to be no way. Do you think back to the start of the message today when, when I asked you about those God moments? Remember the example of Nadine's missions trip, the time that God provides for you when it seems like you're not sure how you're going to get through a situation? The question, thinking of your own God moments. I invite you to go back there again. Because if, if your heart is open to the fact that there's power in the presence of God in your life, you'll have these moments, these stories to reflect upon. Uh, maybe for you it's a time when you had an answer to prayer, uh, overcame a temptation. Maybe you were freed from an addiction or there was a barrier that was just miraculously removed in your world. Whatever it is, whatever that story comes to mind, that God moment that you've had, I want to ask you this question now. How did that make you feel? How did you feel in that moment? i got to imagine the reason you can think of it now is because it had emotion attached to the event. Because the emotion was you were excited. You were flying high. It confirmed for you the reality and the presence of God. God is real and God is really here. He's really here with me. And your confidence went up a few notches. You felt like you could do anything in that moment. Or to put it another way, you felt like you could trust God all the way. You felt like you could trust God all the way. And that's exactly what happens for the Israelites in this moment. They're on the bank of the other side of this water they had camped at just, just hours earlier. They're safe. The road to the future is open as they look. Their enemy has been defeated and their memories are flooded with these recent events of how the presence of God had protected them during the plagues. He had guided them in this pillar of fire. And now this. Man, they probably felt a little silly for their outburst to Moses earlier. <laughs> if God was ever a one who says, I told you so, this would be the moment. But they didn't. They probably felt a little silly. Sorry about that, Moses. Well, uh, sometimes we say things without talking. Well, we'll never let it happen again, right? Come back next week. We'll see what happens. And then we read this in verse 31. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people were fearing the Lord now. They had faith in the Lord. They put their trust in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Because God made a way where there seemed to be no way. Such a great time of faith building for the nation of Israel. Such an incredible time of building trust in God's appointed leader of Moses. It's an incredible time they could look back and they could say, you know what? God is true to his word no matter what the situation looks like. As I think of that phrase, it reminds me of a testimony I heard from a businessman once. who talked about how he was one time flying overseas and working in China. And it has to be during the 2008 Beijing Olympics. And he was watching the U.S. basketball team play there. And they're, they're having a good game, but they were having a challenging time keeping the lead. Now, in the end, they ended up winning the game, and so he was excited about that. 
He waited for a couple of hours till the time shift to call home afterwards. And when he finally called home, his son was watching the game now. But his son was watching it on a taped delay. And you're in the final minutes. And the U.S. basketball team was down by 10 points. And so the son nervously said, Dad, I, Dad, I hope they win. And the father smiled and said, I'm, I'm sure they will, son. Just keep watching. <laughs> and no surprise, they win. The son's happy. Dad looks like a hero. It's dad school 101. Just take them what you can get them. Trust goes up a few notches in dad. It's wonderful. As I think of that story, it reminds me that God already knows the end of the game. God cares for his sons and his daughters. And so when we, when we say to him, how are we going to do it, dad? How are we going to make it? And when we hear him say, follow me, even though it might be a slightly different route than we expected, we can trust him to lead the way. When we hear him say in response, move forward, but there's a barrier, move forward, we can trust that he will make a way. And when we hear Jesus Christ himself, God with us, not a pillar of fire or cloud, but God with us in flesh, when we hear Jesus Christ himself say, I am the way, I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We can trust him all the way. Not only because he knows the end of the game, but because he's already won the game. We can place our trust in him. Just as God freed Israel from slavery, the power of slavery in Egypt, Jesus came to save us from the power of slavery to sin. Just as Israel found freedom from their enemies in the activities of the seas parting, we find freedom in the activity of Jesus upon the cross. And just as Israel stood and felt the joy and excitement of new life on the other side of that body of water, we too can stand and experience and feel new life with Jesus Christ if we've accepted his gift of salvation. So I want to leave you with this challenge today as you consider these things. Number one, have you accepted the victory of Jesus Christ that he has bought and paid for? Have you accepted that into your own life? Because the reality is this, that God loves you and that God did not want to live apart from you because of our sin. He did not want to leave you enslaved to sin in bondage. And so he sent Jesus Christ to pay the price that a slave could not pay for themselves. He paid the price, the price of our sin, which was always been death. He paid it upon the cross himself. And he now offers to us the victory that he made possible upon the cross if we'll choose to receive it simply by saying, thank you, Jesus, for being the sufficient sacrifice, for paying the price that I cannot pay on my own. I believe that your sacrifice paid the price. And as you gave your life for me, I now give you mine and stand in new life with Jesus Christ. If you've made a profession of faith like that today or a day in the past, I want you to know this, the outcome of your game is not undetermined because you can live in the power of victory today in each day going forward. And understand that you stand in the power and the victory of Jesus Christ as a follower of Jesus Christ. I ask you to consider what would it look like this week to allow yourself to trust God to lead the way, to allow him to make the way, to trust him all the way. Why? Because when there seems to be no way, God makes a way. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. The one who came to stand in the gap 
between you and us. Lord, the one who knew that in and of ourselves we were simply slaves to sin with no hope of freedom. But thank you, Lord, that at just the right time, in just the right way, while yet we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us, gave his life for us. Lord, I pray those here who have not accepted that perhaps or need to recommit themselves to that fact would do so today in this moment and would, would make themselves known by coming to pray with somebody online or at the service here when we're finished. Lord, as we reflect back upon the story of Israel and your redemption of those people, your, your miraculous movement in their midst where you made a way where there was no way. God, we love that story. And I pray we would see ways that we can find ourselves in that story. Understanding that you make ways. Because you are the way. Lord, may we trust you to mark the path that we walk. May we trust you to help us resist temptations. May we trust you to help us to remove the barriers. And understand the victory in which you brought us, Lord. May we trust you all the way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.